Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, Hebrews 11, today we're going to cover verses 8 to 22. So Hebrews 11, 8 to 22. I'm not going to read the entire passage now, but we'll just kind of walk through the verses. Um, At the beginning of Hebrews 11, we see that faith is internal certainty, internal certainty of unseen realities. And then last week, we looked at Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and we saw that faith is seen in worship, intimacy, and obedience. And this week, what we're going to see, and this is the title of my sermon, that faith is, I'm saying faith is heavenly focused action. Faith is heavenly focused action, okay? So let's look at Hebrews 11, we're going to start in verse 8. Hebrews 11, let's look at verses 8 to 10. Great passage, great passage. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And, And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So it's not surprising that when the writer is talking, he's he's talking to Jewish Christians, so it's not surprising that when he gives an example of faith, he uses Abraham, because Abraham is often called the father of the faith. So, so he's telling them, one of the things that he's telling them, this is what the writer's doing a lot, is he's saying, don't think that those Old Testament saints had a different faith than Christians. Our faith is the same. And he's saying, yeah, we're on this side of Jesus' incarnation. We're on this side of the resurrection, right? We're on this side of the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, but our faith is not different. And so he's saying that Abraham is an example of faith in God's promises that were ultimately fulfilled in Christ, but Abraham's faith is the same as our faith. And so it says in verse 8, he says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham grew up, was born and raised in a city called Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern Iraq, I think it's in southern Iraq. In Joshua 24, 2, it says that Abraham and his father worshipped idols. So they were idol worshippers, okay? But then God chose Abraham to make a nation from him. And so God came to Abraham, revealed himself to Abraham. And when Abraham first called, I mean, when God first called Abraham to go, he didn't tell him exactly where he was going. So God told Abraham, go, I'm going to give you a land but right now, I'm not going to tell you exactly where you're going. And, but Abraham trusted. He obeyed. And that is one of the fruits of faith. We saw this with Noah, especially. Obedience. Obedience is one of the fruits of faith. Faith, in other words, faith leads to obedience. Also, and this is what I want to stress today, is that faith leads to action. So God speaks to Abraham, tells him to go in a certain direction. And although he doesn't know where he's going, he goes anyway. So faith leads to action. And at this time, when you left your family and you left the safety of a city, this was not a minor thing. This was a very scary thing. Back then, if you left your town, your family, your clan, your city, and you went out, 
it was extremely dangerous. You, you, you'd be living in tents and you could have marauders and thieves. They would come and try to kill you and take your stuff. So it wasn't like us moving to Dallas or whatever. It, it, it was a very scary thing to go out from your town, okay? So Abraham had a lot of courage, took great courage to obey God and leave in faith. And as it says, he didn't even know where he was going. Verse 9, I'm not going to spend much time on it, but verse 9 briefly mentions the fact uh, about Isaac and Jacob, his descendants. It says that Isaac and Jacob were heirs with him of the same promise. As I said, they were, they were living in tents, it says. So Abraham leaves this pagan city, the safety of his pagan city. He's living in tents. Um, one of the things about living in tents shows a lack of permanence. So this implies that this was not his permanent home. And then verse 10 is a very important verse because it is a transition verse. And it's a surprise because when we read verse 10, we would expect the writer to say God promised Abraham this land and then eventually the land was given to his descendants. That's what we would expect. That's not what he says. Now, yes, the land did eventually go to Abraham's descendants. But that plot of land in the Middle East was pointing to the ultimate land of heaven. Okay, that's what the whole point of the, the, it wasn't fulfilled. Everything of God's promises was not fulfilled in that little piece of land in the Middle East. And what it's saying is in verse 10 that Abraham was looking for heaven. He was looking to be in the presence of God. That's what verse 10 says. It says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's another way of saying Abraham was looking forward to being in the presence of God. Abraham was looking for, notice the city, it's permanent, foundations, right? It's, it, it's eternal. It, it's not a place with tents. It's not a tent city. This is a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God, the place where God dwells forever. So this is heaven. So what it's saying, even then, Abraham was looking forward to heaven. And on this side of Jesus' resurrection, we understand that this is talking about the new earth with an eternal city, right? The new Jerusalem. We're not going to be spirits just floating around on clouds, strumming harps or whatever the picture you got. We're going to have physical resurrected bodies living in a physical place, the new earth, in the eternal city, the new Jerusalem, okay? So now Abraham at this time didn't have the, the vocabulary to express all this, but that's what he was looking forward to the city that has these eternal foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, again, Abraham was looking forward to being in the unveiled presence of God. That was his ultimate hope. All right, let's look at verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, God, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So here we're given this example of Sarah and we see that God empowers people through faith. That's what it says. And the empowerment that God gave Sarah was the power to conceive a baby. And Sarah, you probably, you may know this, Sarah, when she gave birth to her son Isaac, she was 90 years old, okay? And Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. That's why it says he was good as dead. But from Abraham were born descendants, as it says, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the countless grains of sand by the seashore. And this is exactly what God had promised 
to Abraham. God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, go look up in the night sky. Look up in the night sky and count the stars if you can. Well, that's how many descendants you're going to have, okay? And Abraham's an old man that has no kids. So how, how could he believe that? Well, he believed it by faith. He believed that God would do it. So with Sarah, this is, I've, I've just been thinking about this. Picture a woman who's 89 or 90 years old, okay? Picture this woman. Get that picture in your mind. Now picture that woman pregnant, okay? That's hard to, to imagine. It's hard to get our mind around that. And yet that is what God did with Sarah. And Sarah, at her core, believed this. She had faith that God would do this, that she, that, that she would conceive. And as I said, she received this by faith. Now, just as a parenthetical statement here, when you read about Abraham and Sarah, it's obvious their faith wasn't perfect, right? I mean, their faith was weak. They sinned a lot when you read. In fact, oftentimes it's embarrassing to read about Abraham and Sarah. Sarah laughs when she's told this. Abraham lies all the time. You know, she's my sister and all these, all these things that go through. There's just a lot of, of deception and lack of faith. But at their core, they believe God. Sarah had faith in God. And what I love about this account is we're getting God's perspective on this. And what's beautiful about this is that God sees Abraham and Sarah as being filled with faith. And I love that because it's the same for us. We fail. Our faith is weak. We sin. And yet, because of Christ, when God looks at us, he sees someone that is filled with faith. And he's pleased with us. And I love that. So Sarah had faith, and she must have said to Abraham, she must have said, hey, babe. I'm sure she called him babe, right? Abe. <laughs> Abe the babe. Her babe, Abe. So she said, hey, babe, I'm going to get pregnant, right? God said I'm going to get pregnant. And I'm, by faith, she said, so let's go make a baby, right? So she sets up the, the room in the tent, whatever it is. She's got the baby monitor from Costco. She's got the changing table, She's got the diapers and everything, but she acted in some way in response in faith to God's promise, okay? So she believed. Now we come to verses 13 to 16, 13 to 16, and I love this little section, and I want to encourage you to spend some time in verses 13 to 16, because up until now, what the writer's been doing is giving us these specific examples of people in their, in their faith, but now we get to this little summary and this is not only talking about Abraham and Sarah, but it's also referring to Abel and Enoch and Noah that we looked at before. Okay, so let's look at verse 13. Beautiful statement. It said, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, as having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So it says, these all died in faith. And you know what? On Thursday, Kelly died in faith. She died in faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want for all of us. I want everybody in here to die in faith, faith in God, faith in Christ. And that's what the writers, that's what the writer to the Hebrews has been saying throughout this book. He's been talking about perseverance, faith in the midst of suffering. And he's saying it's not enough to have faith in Jesus and then turn away. You got to preserve, you got to persevere in your faith until the very end. You can't deny Christ. And so the writers has been saying these examples from the Old Testament, they died in faith. He says, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
And I love this because it says that they believed God. As I said, faith is internal certainty of unseen realities. They believed God. But they didn't receive everything promised. They didn't receive everything promised. A lot of times preachers today will say, if you have faith, you'll receive everything that you want. They did not receive the things promised. They died in faith without receiving everything. And Now, they knew that some of the things that were promised would be fulfilled, right? Like Noah building the ark. He knew the flood was coming. He knew that would be fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah knew that they would have a son. They knew that that would be fulfilled. So they knew that some of God's promises would be fulfilled, but most of them were not. They didn't receive everything promised. And you know what? Neither will we. Neither will we. We will not receive everything we hope for in this life. And what that means is we should not put all of our hopes and dreams in this life. We shouldn't expect this life to be heaven because it's not. The Old Testament saints knew that this life on this earth would not be heaven. They saw heaven, as it says, from afar. They greeted it from afar. So by faith, they saw the eternal city whose designer and builder was God, but they didn't receive it in this life. They knew that they would only receive heaven in the life to come. So they didn't put all their hopes and dreams in this life. I mentioned Pilgrim's Progress last week and how our lives are like a journey, right? Well, there's a scene in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian and Hopeful, they go to the top of the mountain and there are these shepherds there tending their flock. And while they're on the top of this mountain, they're on their way, by the way, to the celestial city. They're on the way to heaven. And when they get to the top of this mountain, the, the shepherds give them a telescope. And they said, if you look real close, if you have skill, you can look off in the distance and see the celestial city. So they look off. and It says that Christian and Hopeful looked through the telescope and they saw some of the gates. And it says that they saw some of the glory of the place. They saw it, but it was a long way off. It was far off, okay? They were seeing heaven from afar. And Christian and Hopeful knew that they were going to be there someday, but it was a long walk. And they didn't put all their hopes and dreams in this life because they knew this life wasn't heaven. Verse 13 says, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This was true for Abraham and Sarah. It was true for Abel and Enoch and Noah and all the Old Testament saints. And it's true for us as followers of Jesus. We're strangers and exiles on this earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this world is not our ultimate home. This world is not our home. What does the old song say? It's just, it's just passing through, right? Like it's a layover. It's a stopover on our final destination. We're strangers and exiles here. America is not our ultimate home. We should be thankful that we live in America. I'm thankful I live in Georgia. I love Georgia. I love the fall. I love these cool mornings. I love the changing of the tree. I love Georgia. But this is not our ultimate home. Our ultimate home. We're strangers and exiles, right? Our citizen, as Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our eternal, if we have eternal passports, right? <laughs> we have eternal passports. Where it says nationality, or it says heaven. That's our nationality, okay? That's our citizenship. Heaven where our Lord is. That is our ultimate home. Verses 14 to 16 says this. For people who speak thus, people who talk like this, people who talk like they're strangers and exiles, that their home is in heaven, people who talk like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Remember the writer of Hebrews keeps talking about it's better. He said better over and over again. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham could have gone back to Ur of Chaldees. He could have gone back there. He had an opportunity to return if he was thinking of that as his homeland, as his motherland. But he wasn't. As verse 16 says, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. So Abraham, Sarah, the Old Testament saints, they desired a better country, a heavenly country, a heavenly city. That's where their hopes and dreams were, fixed on heaven. And the same should be true for us. We should have our ultimate hopes fixed on heaven, on the new Jerusalem, on the new earth, where, there, where we will have, as I said, resurrected physical bodies. There'll be no sin and there'll be no sadness. That's our ultimate destination. That's our home. Hebrews 13, 14, a couple of chapters forward, the writer says this. He says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So on this earth, we have no lasting city. We don't have an eternal home on this earth. So we seek the city that's to come. We seek the resurrection life to come. That's what I call it, the resurrection life to come. I've said the title of my sermon is Faith is Heavenly Focused Action. So one part is action, right? Faith acts. But faith is not just action, it's heavenly focused action. Faith is forward looking. By faith, we look forward to the future. Both the immediate future, while we're on this earth, next hour, the next day, we look forward to that. But also, our ultimate focus in the future is heaven. Faith is heavenly focus, so we should be heavenly-minded people. And then in verse 16, at the end of that verse, it says, Therefore, this is beautiful, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If you put your faith in Christ, God has prepared a city for you. He's prepared, Jesus has prepared a special place for you in that city, and he's prepared that just for you. We've got John 14. This is what Jesus says. I think we have a slide of it. John 14, verses 1 to 3. You know this passage probably. If you'd not, dwell on it. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. If you love Jesus, if you're trusting him with your life, then you can be assured. You can be certain that he's preparing a place for you. And it's going to be a place that's just for you on the new Jerusalem, on the new earth, in the resurrection life to come. And one day he's coming back and he's going to take us to himself. That where he is, we also will be with him. Also in verse 16, it says that God is not ashamed to be called their God. This is great because oftentimes, think about this, oftentimes when God refers to himself, he's talking about Abraham, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oftentimes God, when he talks about himself, he will refer to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not ashamed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how he refers to himself because of their faith. He's not ashamed of that. And again, it's the same for us. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, God is not ashamed 
to be called your God. God is not ashamed to be called the God of Kelly. God is, God is overjoyed. God is overjoyed to say, yes, I'm Kelly Scott. She's my beloved daughter. She belongs to me. And I'm not ashamed to be called her God. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it's the same for you. God's like a proud father who points at his child with a smile on his face and says, yep, that's my daughter. Or yep, that's my son. He's not ashamed to be called our God. He's not ashamed to be called our father. He's not ashamed to be called our dad. Let's look at verses 17 to 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, Abraham, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his son, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So first, verses 20 to 22, we're given these brief glimpses of how Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph all lived by faith. They were, they were looking forward to the future. Right? That, that's part of it. There, it was this forward-looking act. They had this internal certainty that God was going to keep his promises by blessing their sons. Joseph talks about his bones being going back to the promised land. He knew that his people would go back to the promised land. So they were focused on, on the future. But I want, to, I want us to look at, at verses 17 to 19, really spend some time there, which talks about God telling Abraham to offer his son Isaac, offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Here we see how Abraham's faith was put to the test. This was the most difficult test that Abraham ever experienced. So Isaac was the son, remember the son promised to Abraham and Sarah. And God had said through Isaac, through this boy, your descendants are going to come. A nation is going to come from this boy. But then afterwards, Abraham was called by God to offer Isaac, that boy, that young man, as a burnt offering. Abraham is probably thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Because in those days, the way you made a burnt offering was you killed the animal, you drained it of its blood, and then you laid it on top of wood and you burned it up. So Abraham was told, this boy is going to be where all your descendants are going to come from him. And now I'm supposed to kill him and offer him as a burnt offering. Okay? So God called Abraham to do this, but Abraham believed that God was going to keep his promises, that God was going to make all of his descendants come from this boy, okay? So what does that tell us? In, if you look back in Genesis, 2, you don't, um, Genesis 22, you don't have to turn there, but right before they go up to the top of Mount Moriah, that's where, that's where Abraham offered Isaac. Right before they go up there, to offer, he's going to kill Isaac as God told him. Right before they go up, Abraham says to his servant, he says, stay here, and I and the boy will go over there and worship. We'll go up to the top of Mount Moriah and worship. And then he says, and then we will come back. Okay? So he says, we're going to go to the top of that mountain. We're going to worship, and then we, me and Isaac, are going to come back. 
In other words, Abraham believed that he was going to kill Isaac, offer him as a burnt offering, and then God, he believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what he believed, okay? So what happened? Abraham took Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah. This is Genesis 22. It says, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So Abraham raises the knife, but then God stopped him. Genesis 22 says this in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son. Think about the language of this too, okay? You have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So he kills the ram and lays it on top of the wood and kills it and burns it up. So Abraham called the name of that place, Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. So the writer here in Hebrews says, figuratively, that Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead because Isaac was so close to death, right? He had the knife over him. And it was almost like he was already dead at the time that the angel stopped Abraham. And so when Isaac and Abraham went back down from Mount Moriah, figuratively speaking, it was like Isaac coming back from the dead. That's what the writer is saying here. So Abraham was living by faith. Again, he had this internal certainty of unseen realities. He had this internal certainty that God would keep his promises, that all his descendants were going to come through Isaac even after he killed him. God, Abraham believed that, no matter the circumstances. What's also beautiful about this Genesis 22 passage is that when Abraham was stopped by the angel and Isaac was spared, God provided a ram as a substitute. God provided a substitute to take the place of Isaac. And what's so beautiful about this is this took place, as I said, on Mount Moriah. Centuries later, there was a city built on top of that mountain, on Mount Moriah. You know what that city was? It was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was built on top of that city. On Mount, I mean, Jerusalem was built on top of Mount Moriah. And what that means is, that in the exact location where God provided a substitute for Isaac and the exact location where the ram died in the place of Isaac, on that same mountain, that's where the temple mount is today, on that same mountain, that's where Jesus died. On that same mountain. Jesus was the lamb who died as a substitute on Mount Moriah. And although God stopped Abraham from offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice, the father did not spare his own son. He did not spare his own son. God gave his own son as a sacrifice, as a substitute to die the death that we deserved. And again, this took place on Mount Moriah. Our God is so good. Our Lord Jesus is so awesome. All right, that's the passage. That's the passage. And I want to conclude with this. As I said, the title of my sermon is Faith is Heavenly Focused Action. I'm going to briefly focus on the action part. As I said, faith results in action. Faith acts in response to God's promises. So faith is this internal certainty of unseen realities. If we have faith, then we will respond in faith by taking action. And also when we act, some of it for Christians, some of the things that we do will not make sense to the world. 
to the world. For example, Noah building a massive boat in the middle of a field, that did not make sense when he was living by faith. To the world, it made no sense for Abraham to leave the safety of his city and go out and live in tents toward a land that he didn't know where he was going. It made no sense. And I will just ask of us, what are you doing? What action are you taking that makes no sense to the world to show that you're living by faith? If you're living by faith, you're going to be taking some action that makes no sense to the world. So what are you doing in your life showing that you're living by faith? For example, to the world, it makes no sense for us to give our money generously to support the Lord's work. It makes no sense. Why do we do it? Because we're living by faith in God. We're being obedient because we believe God knows what he's doing when he commands us to give generously. To the world, it makes no sense to use your time and giftedness and to make sacrifices to serve and encourage others. To the world, it makes no sense to take risks for the kingdom of God by going, by going overseas, by going across the street to take the good news of Jesus to the nations. So why do we do it? We take this action in response to God's word because we're living by faith. We have this internal certainty of unseen realities. To the world, it makes no sense to make a huge effort to live a life of holiness. Why fight your sinful desires? Just give in to them, right? Why do we make such an effort to grow in holiness? We're taking this action because we're living by faith. God says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, as our memory verse is, that we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we do this by faith. We're trusting God in that. To the world, it makes no sense to forgive your enemies, to love your enemies and pray for them. The world encourages anger and vengeance and hatred toward people who don't agree with you on everything, right? And why do we forgive our enemies? Why do we pray for them? Why do we love them? Because Jesus commanded us to do it. And faith results in action. It results in obedience. And if you're living by faith, as I said, you're going to be doing things that don't make sense to the world. That's what we see in this passage. Also in this passage in Hebrews, we see that faith not only brings about action, but it's heavenly focused action. Abraham could not see the immediate future when he went out. He could not see, but he, had his, he knew his ultimate future was in heaven, the city whose designer and builder is God. Abraham couldn't see the immediate future. He couldn't see what would happen the next day, but by faith he could see the ultimate future in heaven. So faith is heavenly focused. As Hebrews 13, 14 says, we have a city that is to come. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Much less what's going to happen next year or 10 years from now or whatever. All we can see is today. All I can see is right now. That's the way we have to live. It's like this. It's Psalm 119, 105, famous passage. I think we've got a slide on it. Your word is a lamp. Think about this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I like the King James, thy word, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. When you're walking at night, just leave it up there for a little bit, guys. When you're walking at night and it's in a place that's pitch dark, you ever been in that? One time I was, when I was single, I was up in Montana and there was no moon and I literally could not see my hand in front of my face because there's no city lights up there. It was just pitch black. So I was walking along, but I did have a flashlight, okay? Now, the pic, think about the picture of this. You have a lamp at your feet when you're walking in pitch dark. What can you see? All you see is the next step. That's all you see. So God's word is a lamp to our feet, 
a light to our path. But it's not a light that shines a mile down the road where we know what's going to happen. It's at our feet. We only see enough to take the next step. And that's all God requires us to do by faith. When we're living by faith, all we're required to do, and really all we can do, is simply take the next step in faith and obedience. But down the road, it's dark. I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now, much less next year or whatever, right? I know all I do is take the next step. But, and this is so important, we know that our Lord Jesus is walking with us. He will never leave us. He promises that. He will never leave us. So even though we can't see him, it's an unseen reality, he's with us. Every step of the way, he's with us. And although we can only see the next step, not only do we have the Lord with us, we know that our journey will end in the celestial city, right? In the resurrection life to come. But it's far off. I don't know when I'm going to see it, right? I don't know when I'm going to be there. It's far off in the distance. So we're looking forward to living in the city that has foundations, the permanent city and eternal city, the new Jerusalem. On, this, on the new earth, again, we'll have resurrected bodies and friendship and excitement. I encourage you to do a study on heaven. There's a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. I'd encourage you to read that. To think about heaven, new earth, resurrection, joy, excitement, wonderful conversations with friends, things to look forward to. No sadness, no anxiety, just joy and peace. And most of all, beholding the face of our Lord. As Revelation says, the light of the glory of Christ will just permeate everything. It'll just permeate everything. But between now and heaven, between this little light at our feet and heaven, it's pitch black. We don't know what's coming. And all we can do is take that next step. But again, that's all God asks us to take is the next step. But you know what? Sometimes even taking the next step is very difficult, isn't it? Sometimes the hurt is so bad, it's hard to even get out of bed in the morning. But we're called to live by faith in the Lord. And all God asks us is simply to take the next step in faith. So we remind ourselves of the truth. Things like Jesus is with me, right? Every step of the way. And we remind ourselves of the truth, that our citizenship is not on this earth. We remind ourselves of the truth, that we are strangers and exiles in this world. This world is temporary. It's like we're living in tents. So don't plant your tent stakes too deeply. Be ready for the Lord to pull up your tent stakes. In other words, don't grip too tightly to the things of this world. There's a Peter Gabriel song I like. It's called Salisbury Hill. He's not talking about spiritual things. But I like this line as it applies to the Lord. It says, you can keep my things. He's come to take me home. You can keep my stuff. He's come to take me home, right? So don't grip too tightly to the things of this world. Be ready to let them go because our citizenship is not of this world. In fact, that's what the writer said in the previous chapter, in Hebrews 10, verse 34. He said, you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You just said, who cares? I can let it go. Why? Because he says, you yourselves knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. You had a better possession. Heaven is a better place than this world. Heaven is better, and heaven is abiding. It's permanent. As we learn in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, 
everything around us is transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Things of this world are temporary, fading away, but the things that are unseen, heaven, the new Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus coming back, these things are eternal. The, the heaven, new earth is going to last forever. And we're going to be there. God's people are going to be there. So we can plant our tent stakes loosely in this world. And we can know with certainty that this world is not our permanent home. So we can live with open hands, right? Not keeping a tight grip on our money, our stuff, not keeping a tight grip on our plans or things we want to accomplish. It's fine to have goals, but we need to have loose grips on these things. We hold on to these things loosely. So I would ask you, just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas in your life where you're not living by faith, where you're holding too tightly to plans or dreams that God wants you to let go. What does God want you to let go? Ask the Holy Spirit to show that to you. So we can let things go. We can hold loosely to the things of this earth because we know our citizenship is out there. It's in the eternal city. My citizenship is in heaven, New Jerusalem. That's where my ultimate home is. And while we're on this earth, we simply take the next step with that little light in front of us. And as we walk by faith, we trust that the Lord is going to guide us. He's going to lead us where we need to go. But your job is not to strike out on your own. Your job is not to make a way on your own all by yourself. No, your job is to follow Jesus by faith. Your job is to follow him with God's lamp, his word shining down at our feet as we take the next step of obedience by faith. And that's all he asks of us. All the while, all the while lifting your eyes up to see the celestial city in the distance, knowing that that is your ultimate destination. On Thursday, Kelly entered into that city. She walked into those open gates of that city. She entered into eternal joy. Kelly beheld the risen Lord Jesus on Thursday afternoon, and she heard these words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Kelly heard on Thursday. And you know what? One day God is coming to take you, everybody in here. God is going to take us, and I want you to hear those same words as well. My prayer is, when God calls you, you'll say to the world, you can keep my things. He's come to take me home. I'm going to finish with this. I've read this thing before, but I love it. In the Lord of the Rings, there's a part where it looks like Pippin and Gandalf are about to die in war. It looks like death is certain. And Pippin said, I didn't think it would end this way. Gandalf said, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. And Pippin says, what, Gandalf? What? See what? White shores, and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin said, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf said, nope, no it isn't. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you. We uh, praise you for your word. Thank you for Hebrews 11. God, you didn't have to give us Hebrews 11, but you did. And it's a gift. And so we praise you for that. God, I thank you for my friends here. I pray for anybody who is struggling. I pray for anybody who realizes they need to let go of some stuff. I pray you'd help all of us just to hold on to the things of this world loosely. 
by faith, knowing that our citizenship is in heaven, our eternal home is with you on the new earth in the resurrection life to come. And even now, Lord Jesus, we pray you'd come, even now. We know you want to bring people into your kingdom. And I pray if there's anybody here who's not born again, who's not put their faith in you, Jesus, that, Holy Spirit, you'd quicken them right now and that they would see your glory, your beauty, your truth. Just reveal that to them. God, and we do pray for the Hodges family. Thank you for Kelly's faith. She's just, just a beautiful, wonderful person who lived for your glory. And so thank you for her testimony. Thank you for her life. Thank you for Ryan and Carter and Riley Kate and their family. Lord, bless them, comfort them in this difficult time. And as we're going through Hebrews and we're talking about suffering, I pray for any of my friends in here who are suffering, any friends at home who are suffering, that you just bless them and that you would help us, Lord, to, to understand. I really pray that through this, Lord, we would focus on at least a couple of things. One, the fact that you're with us, just being in your presence, practicing your presence, Pray we'd focus on that. Also pray we'd focus on heaven. Be people who are heavenly focused. And we would want to live for your glory in light of that. So help us just to take the next step by faith with the little light in front of us, Lord. Help us not to worry about what's out in the dark because you, you've got it taken care of. You've set a path for us. And I pray that we would just walk it by faith and joy, trusting in you. So we love you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.